All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to uh, Jesus is Dope. And um, if you're listening to this down the road in the future, this will be irrelevant. Um, but if you have been listening week to week, this is, I missed a Sunday's dose uh, over a week ago, and it's Monday. And the reason is uh, twofold. I've been really busy and uh, also just didn't feel like doing it, um, which surprised me. And, uh, but not because I'm not excited to talk about this. This is so fun. And I'm including it in understand trying to understand the beatitudes you can't disconnect uh, i mentioned this i think last week but that you know most people view the beatitudes as running from matthew 5 verse 3 to like 10 or 11 and i, I think uh th- that it's all connected and i think that the way matthew records this teaching happening on a mountainside that opens with the beatitudes that moves directly into this piece uh, that we're going to look at today and where he goes from here, it's all purposeful and intentional. And so the best way to understand is to see how it keeps connecting. So I think the Beatitudes, in a sense, are like um, the introduction, the manifesto of Jesus declaring that in his kingdom, under his kingship, under his lordship, being the Messiah, the Savior. So Jesus, uh, as a reminder, never shies away from using that kind of language or making that kind of claim about himself, including that he is the man of God or son of God, um, which was all like very prophetic Jewish language to refer to uh, God in the flesh, the Messiah. And when we use words like Messiah and Savior, they're very religious sounding. And we always just think of them as like, oh yeah, you know, it's for those that believe they need to be saved, that's Jesus. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said everybody uh, is separated from their source of life and security and knowing their love, uh, loved perfectly, that they are not alone nor powerless, though we often feel that and our fear thrives off the sense of being alone and and being powerless. And therefore, we spend most of our life out of fear, self-protecting and self-promoting. And if that didn't impact other people, it wouldn't be that bad. But the problem is our self-protection naturally invades uh, and, and leads to issues and harm for other people. And when my self, my need for self-protection is in conflict with your need for self-protection, um, bad things tend to come. And when my need for self-promotion to feel that I am seen and valuable and worthy comes from the affirmation of other people, it uh, puts me in a place of, of following the wind or uh, whatever is in trend and not living from a place of security and um, and a place of love, which is, again, what Jesus summarized all of Scripture to be. If you understand that God is love and you really spend the time and the energy, and this isn't like a one-time thing or a season of therapy and you're going to be good. It's the human condition to just constantly learn to see that we are in Christ, which means we are loved. And when we operate from a place of love, it's a place that allows us to focus on others and not on our need for self-protection or self-promotion because we've trusted that to Jesus and his lordship. So, um, Jesus makes these claims of not just Savior and Messiah, but but understand that in the world that he was in and the way that people would have heard those things is more than or, or different and maybe even more potent than the way we hear it today. So, you know, we hear Savior and maybe we think of uh, some Christmas 
songs. And, uh, you know, it's very like religious and nice and it's very kind of domesticated and polite. But the claim of messiahship or savior or being God in the flesh in the ancient world was a direct threat to any other political party or any other political power. And so in the same way, we can refer to Jesus as king. And at at that time, that was a, a real problem. Or even just to say that Jesus was Lord was very political and threatening. But but still today, it would be like saying Jesus is president. Jesus is the prime minister of the world. Um, that's the claim, that, that he's higher than, greater than, more perfect than, and more powerful than any other source of power uh, that we look to for our identity, for security, to tell us who we are and to tell us we'll be okay. That's the human condition. That's kind of human history on repeat. And so the Beatitudes are Jesus proclaiming and declaring that he is king And things in his kingdom, the way it looks to be in submission to him, the way that should play out in our lives should should be very different. Uh, We should look and act differently than the world around us who are looking for their source of security and safety um, to tell them who they are to things of this world that are, you know, finite, that are temporal, that change. So uh, we'll jump into Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Following, if you remember where the Beatitudes left, is that Jesus ended kind of with one of the most contradictory of them all, which is that blessed are you when you are persecuted. Um, And then he goes on to keep talking about not just persecuted because you're a turd, but blessed are you when you are persecuted or people say false things about you or slander you because of him, because of righteousness, which is right according to God. So uh, this, this idea dovetails right into that. That in his his kingdom, things are different. The poor of spirit are the ones that are rich. Those who, who learn to restrain their power in meekness uh, become true representatives of God or his children. And these ideas, um, you know, it's like Jesus is getting their attention going, no one talks like that. Wait, anybody who's going to stand up and declare that they're the king and their kingdom's awesome is going to be very kind of self-promoting and say the natural logical things like, uh, you know, in my kingdom, you'll be blessed because nothing bad will ever happen, right? That's what that's what political leaders, powerful people always are trying to sell to those that they want to lead or are leading is that everything's going to be okay. And Jesus is like, no, 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 everything's not going to be okay because life will be tough. But even when you realize you are poor of spirit, I am enough and you can find enough in me. Um, and so he, he, it's like he's saying in my kingdom, things are just different. And so he's grabbed everybody's attention in this opening mantra of things are different when you follow me, right? And Jesus is, is another person, like many who, who had come before him, who even in the time he lived were there, who were rabbis or religious authorities who, who had new versions of teaching or new ways of understanding God. And this, you know, we, we still have this today. So, you know, people would be drawn to him because there were all these, you know, of course, crazy, awesome things being said about him and that he had done all these miracles, but also because he was saying things that were completely different than other people, not just like sort of different or, um, you know, like iterative or, or just slightly modified, completely different. And so he said in the Beatitudes, a bunch of completely different, unexpected, counterintuitive, even maybe seemingly contradictory things. And then he continues in that thought, and this is what he says to people, and he's speaking 
uh, if you think of this, like to mostly Jewish people who had the same kind of upbringing he did and have the same history that he did and have the same Bible that he did, which we now just call the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures. And here's what he says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. So there's a salt analogy. Now he switches the analogy and now we're light. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So he makes this challenge and this proclamation that that we should be like salt of the earth, that we add to the flavor, right? A salt, salt that's not salty, that doesn't even make sense and is gross and is useless. That's, that's his point. Like be like salt, which means... Add to the flavor. If you think of what salt does, it like draws out the best of something and it can preserve things. And so it it intensifies what's good about the food that we eat and it preserves things. And so if you, I mean, just very practically, this analogy that Jesus uses is like an inspirational marching order to add flavor to the world around us by not being like they are, but something different. So that's why it's better to be wrong because we get the chance to respond in a reconciling, loving, forgiving kind of action that is unusual, unexpected, and adds salt, adds flavor, changes things, draws out the best. Or we're like a light that is meant to shine. And and he makes this direct connection in verse 16, that we should let our light, our life, shine before others so that they can see in the in our good deeds, in the way that we act in this life, It'll glorify the Father in heaven. And this is important because uh, many times religion in general and Christianity are treated as just like a, me- a behavior modification approach. Like just, just do all the right things and then you'll be saved, which is not true. Or do all the right things and then everybody else will want to become a Christian, uh, which also uh, won't happen. But if we learn to take seriously our actions and seriously work from a place of love and work on always doing that and being a person of reconciliation, uh, of grace, of forgiveness, that will point to a God in heaven, a faith in something bigger and greater than what is in this world and what comes natural to each of us and what human history has displayed to us. Now think about human history. One of the ways that, you know, they talk about human history is that it is, it is written by the winners. It's written by the people who did the conquering. And because they conquered, they now rule and reign, and they uh, wrote down history. And so we, we know that when we read you know, human history, it's always according to them because they're the ones that won. Um, but, but think about them winning means that, they're, that, that history is like this stacking of people groups, that there were two people groups, and they begin to fight, and one conquers the other, and then they sort of become one, but never fully, not one in a united sense, but in a conquered sense. And then as is replete through all of human history, uh, many times those conquered people uh, become you know, rebels and revolutionaries and rise up and overcome the form. You know, so the ones that were conquerors are now conquered. And you know, hu- human history is just one big cycle of that. People being conquered by other people, 
people uh, rejecting and resisting what they see as unjust and unfair and, and many times totally right. But so many times in human history, the people who started the revolution and win all of a sudden become tasked with an incredible burden to live up to all that they were opposed to, right? Can, can they now as a revolutionary form, not just a government, but a good government, can they, essentially the question is, can they deliver on the promises that they made? Can they be better than what was? And what you find through human history is it never really happens. Um, this is, uh, you know, Animal Farm is such a great um, analogy and story of how what we're opposed to ultimately becomes some of the very same things that we perpetuate evil with and, and wrong and oppression to other people. So, now, the reason I bring all this up is that we can't read about Jesus's life and we can't really understand what he's saying in the Beatitudes or here in um, really in the whole Sermon on the Mount. We can't understand this unless we also understand the context that he was in to the extent of that Jesus was in a very political world. And and so are we. Um, we live in a more compartmentalized version of the world where we think uh, we like to think that we can keep our personal life separate from our professional life and our faith separate from our politics and on and on and on. Uh, but people in the ancient world and for most of human history never had those type of um, separations between things. And uh, and I think many times we think that they're separate and they're not. Um, and it's, it's to our own disservice. But back then, all of it, your politics and your religion um, and your philosophy, all of it was one. And it informed everything that you did. And this is important because you, you, you can't really understand Jesus' world and the audience he's speaking to without understanding the politics and the power struggles that were at play. And you can't, um, I mean, think about it like this. You can't read the Christmas story and not read about politics. You can't read about Herod, who was a ruling king regionally under uh, ultimately Caesar and the Roman Empire. It's politics. You can't read... Uh, the Christmas story, and not read about a census that was given, uh, which is what forced uh, Joseph and Mary to travel back to Bethlehem. That's politics. Uh, ultimately, them fleeing for fear of political persecution to Egypt um, until Jesus was a few years old. So, like, there's politics involved in all of this. There's power struggles, which is um, anyway we can talk about all of human history, let alone talk about. Um, the story of Jesus. And so while you and I might like to think, I've heard people say this in church for a long time, like we need to keep politics out of church. Um, I like, I appreciate the intent, but it is not really possible because our faith and our politics go hand in hand. And what I mean is that uh, well, politics are subservient to our faith. Faith becomes the lens of how we see the world. If we're following Jesus, we believe the things he said and, and the things he, he declared is true, not just that he's truth, but that that means we're created in his image. And therefore there's like a purpose and a design for our life. And therefore we can make sense of sin and separation between us and God or how fear shows up and drifts, uh, you know, makes us walk away from God or get distant from him. Um, all of that influences how we see the world. And so by faith, we see the world and therefore how we think about how locally we should be governed or, or in our nation um, is, is viewed through this lens of our faith and the separation of church and state, um, which has had many different uses. It's just, it's not, it's important that we understand if you're following Jesus, our job 
is to be like him in this world. That is not about being a particular political view. There are things about the, you know, in, if you're American, our two-party system, there are things about the Republican Party and things about the Democratic Party that very much align some of the issues that they uh, focus on, the things that they want to do, very much align with what we could say are um, aligned with Jesus' teachings. None of them are perfectly aligned, and none of them are uh, higher than Jesus' teachings or not subservient to them. And so people get really bothered because we want to simplify things that makes life easy, and it's just, well, Christians are just Republican, or Christians are just Democrat, which is overly simplified and a gross uh, oversimplification and and misuse of the, the idea. Following Jesus means he's king, not Republicans or Democrats. Now, we still should uh, biblically want the best for the land that we live in. That's okay to, to vote. It's okay to want the best. It's okay to have opinions. But they're never higher than um, Jesus, and they're never to be in contradiction with him. And when they are, we should be people who practice repentance, recognizing that, adjusting, and apologizing. Um, and, and the reason I'm going on this whole rant not is not just because we have an election here in front of us and we need to be reminded of it, but... Jesus was speaking to people just like you and I could get fired up about some political issues and what we see is wrong with government uh, government and our politicians and all that. The Jewish world was was more fired up because they were a conquered people by what they saw as not just a uh, another nation but but a pagan ungodly nation that was opposed to everything that they held dear. So all that to say when Jesus is saying be assault be light. In part, he is talking to the nation of Israel. A lot of his, the things that he does, and especially when he talks about tearing down the temple and these other things that he'll say in his teachings, he's indicting the emptiness of the Jewish religion and Israel not being truly Israel. Israel had was always supposed to be a blessing to other nations, but Israel had begun behaving like other nations. In the same way, Jewish individual Jewish people were not being the individual Israel blessing out of relationship with God to other people, acting out of love, not hate, spite, separation, caste, racial, all the things. Um, but instead, people were behaving like other people. And they as a nation were, and they individually were. And so Israel of Jesus's day had corruption, just like every other government and every other moment of human history, squabbling. So they're, they're the people of God, and yet they are, they're playing the power politics game. They, they are uh, really focused on identity, ideologies of who's in, who's out, who, who has more, who has less, who deserves less. Uh, lots of factions and lots of militant revolutions. And so Jesus is speaking into that context. Be salt, as if to say, like, what if God's saltiness, that he wanted you to be like the salt of the earth, add flavor, draw the best? What if you've lost your saltiness and you are no different? What if God's light into the world had been dimmed by what religion and people do when we live out of fear? God's light has been like hidden under a bowl or behind the fog of human corruption and power mongering and things that were not sacrificial love for the sake of others but instead self-protecting and self-promoting. Um, weren't being light in being different to the nations around them, weren't being light in being different people or to other people, um, a different way of being. 
um, a different way of stewarding power. If you go back to the episode where we talked about the beatitude of meekness and power and stewarding well the power that God's given us, Jesus's world and ours still today believes primarily in power that is enforced by violence, by military might. But Jesus comes along and is declaring here in the sermon and will ultimately declare with his life and declare that this is what his kingdom is all about, that true power is not enforced by violence. True power is enforced by love, by self-sacrifice. And there's a ton of ways you can go and look at this and see this, but one of the most potent and, and amazing is Jesus's conversation with Pilate in the story of Easter. Pilate says, don't you know that I could take your life? That's power enforced by violence. To which Jesus says, nothing. <laughs> because he knew to, to respond in any way would make no sense, but was just going to have to respond by showing him what true power looks like. You can kill me, but I won't stay dead. You can hate me, but I will not hate you back. It is, it is the power of love. And it is so supernatural, right? Like so super outside of our understanding. We don't understand it. When someone cuts us off, we want to respond out of power enforced by violence. Um, when, when people do us wrong, we want to react in our sense of power enforced by justice and rightness. And none of that's necessarily wrong in and of itself, but it can be taken to very wrong extremes. And the nation of Israel then had forgotten this. Jesus is speaking to them. And he's, so he's like warning them, but he's also challenging us. He's warning them that you've lost this. You, you, you think you're so right, you are wrong. And the way that you act is wrong. But, uh, but he's challenging us that, that, that keep our saltiness. Be light, be different. Respond differently. It's a, it's a huge inspirational challenge. And I'll, I'll just point to two quick examples from the book of Isaiah, it's a book that Jesus would uh, speak to and reference a ton. In fact, it almost got him killed uh, more than one time. But to the people of Israel, God had spoken things like in Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. God said this, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, right, according to God. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. And Gentiles always references anyone non-Jewish, anyone not circumcised, anybody not kosher, anybody who doesn't follow all these Old Testament things. So God's saying, I, I've made you to be a light to the Gentiles, to open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. In Isaiah 49, verse 6, uh, it says this, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring those to Israel I have kept. Now think of that too small a thing to reunite and bring together all of God's covenant people. He's saying that's too small of a thing because this isn't just about Israel and the Jewish people. It says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Israel and the Jewish people were always meant to be a nation and a people group living according to different rules, playing not in the power struggle of the world, but by living out the power of love. Now, they failed at that. I fail at that. Church fails at this in the same way that they got this wrong. Church still gets this wrong. Uh, anytime um, we get too much religion, anytime humans are involved, messes will be made. That's the problem with government today. That's the problem with church today. That's the problem with just being friends with each other. I'm going to frustrate you at some point. I'm going to hurt you in some way. Um, but Jesus is inviting us to, to, to recognize this tendency 
and to be changed by it. Now, this is super cool. In Luke 4, you can go read it. Jesus uh, had been doing lots of things, had already been baptized, and then he comes back to his hometown, Nazareth. And he picks up the scroll and he reads from Isaiah. And it sounds very much like the verse I read from Isaiah 42, but it's actually Isaiah 61. And he tells them that this prophecy of the Messiah, who's come to give you know sight to the blind and free captives, is fulfilled in them hearing it today. He claims that it's him. And people were like, oh, cool. Like they were kind of into that idea. They weren't mad at him yet. But then he reminds them that just like the prophets of old, and then he references racially different, politically different people who were blessed by God uh, in two Old Testament stories. Go read it in Luke 4. And then the town of people who he, where he grew up and knew him the best wanted to kill him. And uh, that's just baffling to me that like they were okay with his claim that he was God in the moment, not okay that he was referencing blessing people who weren't Jewish or in the same way how there's these issues. Anyway, read it. It's all political. There's always racial tensions and class tensions and human issues. And Jesus is inviting them then and you and I now to live differently and see the world differently. That, that when evil shows up, we respond in love to enable us to be people who help others in the world around us find their way out of the darkness, to find a different way to live, that it should be like light. And too often Christians are guilty of just blaming the world for being too dark and evil when the responsibility is ours to be salt and light into that world, right? Think of this. You can't add darkness into a room. You can only remove light from it. You cannot add darkness and evil and corruption into the world. You can only remove light from it. And the opposite is true. You can only add light to it that if we could be more of like this light of love that is self-sacrificing, that prays for people that persecute us, that loves our enemies, um, we become agents or ambassadors is another way to think of it, of God's kingdom that is just different. And it is our mantra and so part of the question, and what's cool about this, these couple verses that we're reading here in Matthew 5, is they are from the intro, the Beatitudes, to everything else Jesus is going to say, they are like the connection point. This is like the gateway uh, to everything else that he's about to teach, and he's going to go after some of these very religious ideas or nationalistic ideas that people have that lead them astray, that give them excuse not to love in the way that Jesus calls us to love and to be. And part of his, like I said, warning challenge to them then is like, what if the light bearers of God have just become part of the same darkness? And that's his question to you and I. How do we, if we're going to follow him, be light bearers and, and shine lights into dark places, not of judgment and spite and separation and reasons to say who's, who's a better kind of sinner than others, but rather to be like this agent of love and not, like I said, blame the darkness for being dark or evil for being evil or the bland, unimaginative lives of self-seeking. What would it look like rather for us to be love in the midst of evil offering forgiveness and to be salt and creativity in the blandness of the world or to be a peculiar kind of people following a peculiar kind of faith, living out peculiar kinds of values? The more you follow Jesus, the more peculiar you should be to other people. That's a way of saying that. In fact, I think it's what's behind some of what Paul taught and talked about in Titus chapter 2 through 3. He talked about how we are supposed to live differently. 
not not pursue the ungodly worldly passions that lack self-control and and we should live different we should act different and and he gives like specific references to not be like typical men be better not like typical women be better um to be light and salt and and to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient to them. And this is spoken in a first century world where they saw them as pagan and awful and sinful and terrible. And so here Jesus is proclaiming to them then, and he's challenging you and I now to realize that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Don't allow your faith to be bland. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. That they see your love, that they see your actions, that they see your values and your priorities in your budget, in your calendar, in in your responses and reactions. They see Jesus like light, like salt, and it changes the world around us. Don't ever forget that Jesus is not believing you to, or not believing you, that doesn't make sense. Jesus is not inviting you to simply believe in him, but that through believing in him that you become like him, you become an ambassador of his kingdom, and that the world is different because of you. Belief in Jesus is, is hand in hand with understanding you are commissioned to be like him, to offer a better way in a world that just leads to darkness and emptiness and pain. So I don't know what that exactly means to you today, but that is your weekly dose. Sorry it was late. And may each one of us this week really lean in. Uh, Maybe read these things and pray through them. But how do we be a blessing to the world around us? As Israel was supposed to be then, you and I are today. Take care.